Welcome to the Unlocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Brambling Rex. Alrighty, welcome back, Al, to another edition of Unblocking Crypto. Today is going to be a, a pretty interesting episode. The goal, I think, today is going to be talk about what the difference is between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I know every time I have a conversation with somebody, that is a, a big question mark of well, what's the difference between one or the other. And there's 10,000 more we could talk about, but let's just talk about those two this time. So before we jump into that, though, Let's talk about some news. There's been a ton of news that's really positive lately. So I'll let you get started on something that you've heard lately that's very positive. Uh, Yeah. So um, this Canadian trucker convoy that's kind of shut down uh, a couple of bridges and and border crossings uh, from the U.S. to Canada, uh, as well as like in downtown Ottawa. Um, It's been a real headache for the Canadian government. And they've been trying to do different things to kind of dislodge it. Um, they try to get tow trucks to tow the people that run the tow trucks were kind of on the side of the protesters. So they said, sorry, we are all out with COVID, so we can't tow anything. So that didn't work. And then the protest itself was funded. Uh, there was like a $10 million uh, GoFundMe that was raised. And that's to cover all the costs of, you know, these these guys traveling and doing all these things. Well, um, the Canadian government froze that or, or GoFundMe froze that, I think, under pressure from the Canadian government. So that those funds were frozen. And then another crowdsourcing um, or crowd lending site, Give Sin to Go, they said Canadian government doesn't tell us what to do. And then they got hacked and their website was like a. Uh, a scene from Frozen with scrolling text talking about, uh, you know, why this protest is bad. So they were kind of shut down. And um, so the Canadian government says, okay, here's the deal. Uh, We're going to invoke emergency powers. We're basically suspending uh, rights and we can uh, penalize people for using cryptocurrency and using these crowdsourcing funds that they're going to be classified as funding terrorism, all the like pretty legit serious things that you really don't want to hear from a, a democratic government. Um, and so to me, it's kind of like, all right, well, yeah, it's easy to shut down GoFundMe, right? You just, okay, hey, GoFundMe, you, you can't work here in the United, in, in Canada. It's illegal. You, there'll be consequences. Okay. Well, GoFundMe says, oh, fine. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push on this. The same, you know, um, the gifts and go, it's like, okay, you hack one website and they're locked out. So problem solved. Um, Bitcoin's decentralized. So that's a little trickier, right? Like you're going to have to stop every two people that are transacting in Bitcoin in order to stop them from transacting in Bitcoin. It, it's almost like tr- you could, you'd have to stop people from trading cash or accepting other pieces of property for, for goods and services. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see what happens here because there is no neck to choke in Bitcoin. Um, you know, that's something to watch. Like this, this all this went down yesterday. So it's super new. But regardless of whether it's Canada or the United States or a different country trying to keep people from transacting, and regardless of whether you agree with this protest or the next protest, it kind of is a stress test, in my opinion, for what Bitcoin can do if 
if a government decides to be totalitarian or, or freeze people's assets or try to can try to change rules and laws so that people that are doing or thinking one way uh, become it becomes illegal. So the whole thing to me ties back to like it's weird because in 2017 when I first started getting the Bitcoin, you know, it was like, well, just eh, just try it. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, 2017 things were just things were just running pretty smooth globally. Um, and so Bitcoin was described as a solution looking for a problem. And in the last two years, it's like all the problems that they talked about in 2017, well, the dollar it could go into hyperinflation. Uh, governments could seize people's assets and freeze their bank accounts. Um, all of these problems that they talked about theoretically five years ago are becoming kind of problems now. And it's neat to see how Bitcoin actually works the way that they said it would work five years ago. Um, and so I, I'm, it's, it's just a neat thing to watch. I mean, it, it's kind of a crummy thing to watch. Like you don't want to see the Canadian government uh, start suspending rights and privileges or rights and, and civil liberties. But I'm curious to see how Bitcoin can kind of work around it and try to uh, kind of do its thing because I'm pretty much uh, on the side of like, if it happens, it happens. Like I'm not rooting for the bad guys. Like I'm not rooting for Russia. I'm not rooting, but it's like, this thing's going to happen the way it's going to happen. And you kind of get to watch it. Um, so whether there's good guys or bad guys or whatever side that you think is good or bad, it's interesting to see how Bitcoin's going to kind of navigate these waters. Um, so like I said, kind of the, the, the emergency powers and the suspension of, of uh, civil liberties happened yesterday. So it's super early on, but it's, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Really cool, right? That's, um, it's going to force you action one way or the other, and it's probably not what most governments want to happen so quickly. But they're kind of the ones that are uh, forcing crypto's hand, right, to see what, how crypto can, can answer the question. So this is, it's exciting to see how this works to your point, right? That what's going on is a whole other issue that is not fun to be engaged in. Um, but from a crypto perspective, yeah, I'm thrilled to see how this actually works and if it takes this out of it. So I got a couple of things on my end um, that are kind of interesting as well. If you look at some of the Fortune 500 companies, uh, Salesforce, which I think is like number 137 in the Fortune 500, they announced that they are going to start working on a platform around NFTs. So, and I know uh, NFTs are one of the things nobody really wants to talk about. But for a company that large, it's about NFTs, that's pretty interesting. And there's still a details unknown, um, but it could be something competing with OpenSea, could be something completely different. But just to say we're going to start working on the NFTs is kind of a big deal to my to my mind. And McDonald's actually, they um, submitted 10 tra trademarks for the metaverse. So their plan is to get into the metaverse and it almost sounds like you're going to be able to go in the metaverse, go to a virtual McDonald's store, order something, and then it will be delivered to you in real life. It's kind of planned. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And then uh, Binance actually had $200 million that they invested into Forbes. Which way will you, your, um, they're, they're going to use that to kind of increase blockchain knowledge. So that's exciting to see that you have an exchange that's buying into 
um, a media company and a company that is helping to teach people um, more about blockchain. And the last thing I have, and it's something you're probably even more aware of than I am, uh, than I am is the El Salvador $1 billion Bitcoin bond. So they're about to sell a bond for a billion dollars, half of which they'll use to buy Bitcoin and the other half they'll use to, buy, to invest in the infrastructure in El Salvador, which is a big deal. No country has ever done that before. Yeah, yeah. So that's something I've been keeping an eye on in my, like what happens with El Salvador matters. Uh, thesis on Bitcoin adoption from country to country. Um, and so El Salvador is an interesting spot because they're effectively a junk bond, like a sovereign junk bond, uh, because of, if you compare them to the United States and European countries and things like that, there's a lot of risk. And so their typical bonds pay out like 12, 13%. This Bitcoin bond pays out uh, 6%. But there's like a Bitcoin bonus uh, as Bitcoin's price appreciation impacts the, the fund. So, you you know, it pays back at 6%, but there's some upside based on the performance of Bitcoin uh, price action. Um, I think it's pretty slick. It's like a 10-year bond. So you're going to get 6% back plus the, uh, the, the Bitcoin piece. But what it allows... El Salvador to do is to decouple itself from the IMF and the debt cycle that developing countries are under, which is something that's not very well known. Um, and if this country, if El Salvador goes for this and it works, then you could see a lot of Latin American countries falling right in line. And the same goes for African countries because for a different reason, the African countries are being impacted by Chinese investment uh, and debt that's owned back to the to the to China. Um, this kind of allows each country to take care of itself. So, um, yeah, early days. Uh, I think we're a few weeks from them issuing that bond, but it's going to be pretty exciting to see one if the bond is over invested, as in when they release it to the market, if. They, they're trying to raise a billion dollars and they can raise 1.5. That's going to tell everybody that's looking to raise debt that, oh, there's there's a market here. We can do it. We can get the money we need in order to invest in our uh, our infrastructure and country and, and pay it out as a bond. So that's that's important that if it's if, if it's overinvested when it's released, that's uh, that's a big signal to other countries that this is going to work. It'll definitely be exciting to see what happens. All right, so moving on, I know the main thing is going to be talking about Bitcoin versus Ethereum. And your probably expertise is a lot more on Bitcoin than Ethereum. So I will probably handle more of the Ethereum side and let you kind of dive into the Bitcoin side of things. And maybe kind of to start with, let's let's talk about um, just the tokens, right? I mean, what, what a Bitcoin is versus... Ethereum, like, and how many there are. So maybe I'll let you start. Is tell me yeah. how many Bitcoin there are. Yeah. So uh, you know, Bitcoin, like, super basic Bitcoin one hundred and one, right? Like, uh, it was created from from scratch in two thousand and eight, uh, basically in response to the money printer going off uh, in the global financial crisis. Um, so what they said is, look, uh, if they can just keep printing money out of thin air, that's ruinous for people that hold that money we need 
a, a currency or a store of value or money that is not controllable by centralized powers uh, like federal governments. And so what they said is, look, what we'll do is we'll create a digital currency that can't be copied. So the, the innovation there is, is the digital scarcity. You know, you can't copy and paste Bitcoin. Um, so they said there's going to be 21, we're going to release 21 million Bitcoin, but it's going to be released on a, on a hard schedule um, that we can go into later. But it's Bitcoin maxes out at 21 million. There is no way to change that. Um unless you got consensus across the board, but that, that's, that's never going to happen. So um, yeah, Bitcoin was, but was released. Every Bitcoin has always been released through the mining process. There wasn't uh, like a pre-mine release of Bitcoin. So uh, which is, I think is an important piece to Bitcoin when you compare it to things like Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies. But, um, but yeah, 21 million and it's released via proof of work mining and that uh, release every four years gets cut in half. So you go from right right now, every 10 minutes, there's 6.25 Bitcoin released uh, as rewards. And in two and a half years, that'll get cut down to three and an eighth. And then I don't know this off the top of my head, but the last Bitcoin mine is going to be somewhere in the 20 range. I, I think it's 2140. Yeah, uh, that I, I never really drag things out that far. That's yeah. uh, that's that's a long way to go. So, so to to contrast that with Ethereum, I think one of the, the big things that we should point out is that Bitcoin and Ethereum are are not truly competitors. Um, and Bitcoin was started and is kind of the OG, right? But when Ethereum was started, it was started about 2015 which is six years later than uh, Bitcoin. And the goal for Ethereum was not to, to try to take over Bitcoin. It was to be um, uh, just to complement it, right? And so the guys that started it, there were a handful of them. The big guy, you know, is Vitalik. Uh, there's a handful of other guys that started it that now have left Ethereum and started their own smart contract type um, tokens like Cardano and Polkadot and things like that. Uh, the the big difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin has been the token issuance, right? So where Bitcoin will only ever have 21 million, Ethereum currently has uh, just over 119.5 million. And the the other big thing to, to talk about is, and I always say Ethereum. Ethereum is actually the platform. So Ether is the token. So you can't really compare Ethereum and Bitcoin. You have to compare Bitcoin and Ether. And Ethereum is the mix of everything. <laughs> so every time you're buying a token from Ethereum, it's actually the Ether token. Um, the big thing that you're starting to see now, now, now is that Ethereum was on proof of work since it started. They're moving to proof of stake, right? And the big thing you always hear about Bitcoin is how much energy it uses and yada, 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 and why that's a bad thing. Um, so proof of stake actually changes that. And the other huge benefit to proof of stake is that the holders of the tokens are actually incentivized by getting those more tokens back rather than those going to the miners. So that's going to be kind of interesting. The, 
the the big thing I think with Ethereum is that the block times are a lot faster, right? So you're looking at block times in that 15 second type time frame. Um, and I think in the future as things grow, there might be some other things that Ethereum does to make those even faster. Um, but I think you said, you said uh, Bitcoin was about 10 minutes, right? So um, that's that's a big difference between 15 seconds to 10 minutes. It kind of is one of those, how usable is Bitcoin from a day-to-day transaction if you're going to buy a piece of coffee? Right. Yeah, so there, there's the yeah, fundamental differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, when when Ethereum goes to proof of uh, when Ethereum goes to proof of stake, that becomes a huge fundamental difference. Where in Bitcoin, everybody who mines typically mines into a mining pool. There are there have been some individual miners that have gotten rewarded lately. Um, so that's that's pretty rare, but for the most part, it's kind of a shared uh, benefit and anybody can plug it in. Anybody can mine. Anybody can get those um, those rewards. And when you talk about proof of stake, if you just want to be the biggest holder of Ethereum, then you get the biggest rewards. And that means that over time you become bigger and bigger and bigger, which for me is like, well, we're now we're Bank of America like that to me that the, there's a huge uh it's too much like this current system that is not really good because when you start to get bigger and bigger and bigger you hold more and more ether then you have more and more voting rights when it comes to making decisions on how to change the protocol so i don't like that very much for what for what kind of how i view this as being such a, a different phase shift from where we are in the kind of the u.s dollars and traditional banking um so that's one piece. The other is like the smart contract um, functional piece. Yeah, I feel like Bitcoin was created to be a money, uh, like a sound money that people could count on um, where it's not really trying to be a platform for other applications to build on. Um, you can, right? There's layer two applications and there will be layer three, four, five. But Ethereum, on the other hand, it was built much more to be uh, the infrastructure for for other applications. So there's a kind of a big gap between what they're trying to do. And like you said, they're not necessarily competitors because they're not really going after solving the same problem. Um, and and they you know they both have strengths and weaknesses. But you know that's if you're if you're brand new to crypto and you just don't know the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, that there's some, there's some real fundamental differences. It's not like, well, I'm at a horse race. I don't know anything about horses, uh, but I'm going to put a hundred bucks on horse number one. And that's looks like he's the best based on the information I got. And I'm gonna put 40 bucks on number two and 10 bucks on number three and see how it goes. Um, if you start learning about these different horses, you're like, Oh, well, this isn't a horse at all. Right. This is the I'm surprised the source is even in this race. Um, and that's kind of how I, I view the Bitcoin versus Ethereum and other cryptos. Yeah, I agree completely. I think Bitcoin has definitely been that store of value that everybody wants. Right. That it's deflationary because the U.S. dollar is being inflated and Bitcoin. There's a certain amount. Ethereum is is think of it more of just a decentralized computer. Right. And that. um 
you can build almost anything you want on top of it. So it allows you to, to build the automated market makers, the exchanges, to do NFTs, to even create new currencies on top of Ethereum. And because it's decentralized, no one can really shut it down. And that's a huge benefit to Bitcoin too. It's decentralized, no one can shut it down back to kind of what the truckers are running into, right? There's nobody that can stop them from getting Bitcoin because it's so de decentralized. And that's, that's a huge deal. Um, and, and, and I think that's how to be successful in the future, decentralized is going to be the way. So when you're, when you're researching other ones, you'll, you'll be able to tell if they're centralized or decentralized, and that should determine, um, how they do in the future, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's a good point. Uh, and it, I don't want to stray too far, but, um, when you talk about the decentralization versus centralization issue, um, you know, you see all this stuff about like people getting kicked off Twitter and people getting canceled from like, like the Joe Rogan stuff that they're trying to kick them off of Spotify. There's all these things. And it's like, yeah, if you get enough people mad at, or if you get a loud enough minority mad enough to go after somebody, then all they have to do is really attack the Spotify CEO, or they have to attack, you know, uh, just get a mob mentality going. And then, all right, well, Twitter will just yield and, and cancel somebody or, or kick them off. And it doesn't really matter far right, far left or center if they say the wrong thing. So the beauty of like the decentralization piece is it doesn't really matter how wild and binary the politics get. One side or the other can't shut down Bitcoin and can't keep you from transacting in Bitcoin. Um, and then that's a real valuable piece. And I would have, I don't know as much about Ethereum, but I'd imagine it's very similar the only problem being if in a proof of stake situation, the the largest stakeholder gets to gets to make the decisions and they choose that, uh, you know, their team needs to make, needs to eliminate the use of Ethereum for the other team. Um, and, and I don't know enough Ethereum to to really have, speak intelligently on whether that's possible or not, because I don't know how just how decentralized it is today or how that that proof of stake growth in towards the uh, towards the, the larger holders. I don't know how that would look, but um, to me, that's like, that's the one of the rock solid differences between Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is it's like fully decentralized. Yeah. And so I think Ethereum is very decentralized today. The, the question marks around proof of stake, there's still a lot of them out there because E2 isn't here. I mean, that's, that's when proof of stake moves over and, when that happens, no one knows. That was supposed to happen already. <laughs> it could happen as early as March. It's more likely going to happen in late 2022, or early 2023. Um, no one has an exact date. So I think the other thing, too, that's kind of interesting to talk about um, with, with Bitcoin and Ethereum is the transfer second, right? And that's a, a big difference in... Um, how fast you can actually do something, right? So like Bitcoin's low from that, right? Right. So in Bitcoin uh, terms, you know, you can, you got one megabyte blocks, they uh, add a block to the chain every 10 minutes. So each block is limited to how many transactions can be held within it. Um, so one of the knocks on Bitcoin has always been, well, I can't buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. Um, traditionally, the transaction fees were significantly higher than they are right now. It's kind of a weird thing that happened 
when China last year el- eliminated mining in China, the hash rate, uh, so they shut down the miners, they shipped the miners to other countries. The other uh, other countries ramped up the miners again. So we're actually, we have more hash rate on the network now than we did um, prior to China shutting things down. Uh, but the transaction fees are still lower. But you still got to wait 10 minutes for a single tra- single confirmation. And typically transactions um, operate under three confirmations. So, you know, you're talking about a 30 minute wait to, to verify that uh, value was transferred on the on the ledger. So that's that's been the knock on Bitcoin. But like I said earlier, the. The beauty of it is you can add onto layer two, so the lightning network which operates decentralized uh, with nodes, creating channels with other nodes in order to, to transfer the funds. Uh, it operates lightning quick within a few seconds and virtually free because running a node is much cheaper than running um, running miners. So there's a, there's, a, there's a definite benefit on that side to having Bitcoin operate as an infrastructure and a protocol and not just using the base layer of Bitcoin in order to, uh, to to handle every single transaction. So it's almost like Bitcoin has a response to the issue of, of the transactions, but it's not on the base layer, it's on layer two. Yeah, but I, and I think Ethereum is going to be the same way. I mean, so the Lightning Network, the, the theoretical max is somewhere around like 15 million transactions per second, right? It's incredibly high. Um, so... Once you get to that point, I mean, if you look at what Visa is, 24,000 per second. So anything more than 24,000 per second, you're probably going to be able to handle most of what's needed, um, at least from a, a transfer of value, right? I mean, there might maybe some IoT stuff that needs to do more, but that's going to be done on a separate chain. Ethereum right now is is a little bit faster than Bitcoin, right? I mean, if you're doing every 15 seconds, um, they're getting closer to about... Uh, 30 transactions per second today. But in order for them to get more, they're really going to have to do the same thing that Bitcoin is doing is and utilizing layer twos. And that's also to minimize the the gas fees too, which is kind of the same thing as paying a transaction fee on Bitcoin. So I think the goal there of an E2 starts to, to bring in some of that. Um, and we could kind of dive into maybe the triple happening and, and what that does for Ethereum. But the the goal, I think, for Ethereum is in the next few years for transaction fees because of layer twos to get down to the penny-ish, which I know is not free like Bitcoin, um, but then do hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. So there, there is a, a path forward, and that would be light years better than what things are today where you could be paying 30 bucks or more um, per transaction on Ethereum, which which makes it somewhat unusable to do a lot of small things at this point. Yeah, and, and I think it's a good time to talk about like we're kind of watching things evolve, right? Like we're for Bitcoin, we're in year twelve, thirteen, Ethereum, you know, whatever year seven. So I think that I have always had like a good firm grasp of like things are dynamic. So the problems we have today can be addressed with solutions that we don't know about yet. And Bitcoin evolves very slowly. Like the, the, it changes, minor changes. Um, 
you know, the, there's a group of core developers that um, that nominate changes, but then the the nodes have to accept it, um, and they signal that acceptance. And so you you can't make these giant changes on the Bitcoin network because the nodes are distributed globally uh, with no, you know, there is no 51% entity that that can determine changes to the Bitcoin network. Um, and similar to Ethereum, like everything evolves. Okay, well, Ethereum didn't have a gas fee problem five years, four years ago. You know, Ethereum was super cheap to use. And then this year, I tried to buy something on using Ethereum and it was like $185 for me to make a transaction. So I just bailed. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, you know, I, I'm not like if I was going to spend tens of thousands of dollars, okay, fine. I got to spend one, 185 bucks. But man, for me to wire money using a stupid bank uh, that I have to sit in for an hour cost me 30 bucks. So, you know, that's a problem today. That doesn't mean it'll be a problem a year from now or two years from now. Um, and I have to keep that in mind because I always think like, man, I can't, like, how am I supposed to keep up with Ethereum versus ETH2 and what the rules are and how things work? Because it's like, it's a drastic change. Going from Ethereum to ETH2 is going to be like a significant fundamental change. Um, I don't like those, right? Like if you do them once, you it's like, okay, well, anytime you do something once, the second time is easier to do. And the third time is easier to do. So I'm, I'm a little wary of, you know, these drastic fundamental changes to, uh, to these protocols because well, it opens up risk. Uh, you know, you never know what, what could go wrong when things change. Um, and so anyway, the, that piece of it to me is like, it's why I'm 95% Bitcoin and, you know, two, 3% Ethereum in my, uh, in my crypto holdings. Cause it's like Bitcoin isn't going to change. Ethereum's definitely going to change. And those changes are, are risk vectors that I see where things could go wrong. Yeah. No, so I think that makes sense. Um, What's what's interesting, I think, from my perspective, is Ethereum is about to undergo this this triple happening, which could make it a lot more valuable, or or, or scarce, 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 whatever. So what what's happening there is that with Ethereum going from proof of work to proof of stake, that increases the or the, decreases the selling pressure because you don't have any of the miners needing to sell to pay for things, right? On top of that, with um, E2, one of the things they're, they're going to be doing is moving the inflation rate from about 4.3% per year down to 0.43% per year, right? So a huge difference in the number of new coins that are becoming coming out. Uh, that also changes the block reward, too, by a factor of 10x. So today, you're seeing about 12,800 new Ethereum being created today. That's going to go down to 1,280 ETH. Um, and then they also, um, you probably will hear about EIP 1559, mm -hmm. which all that's doing for the most part is actually burning ETH during every transaction. So it's trying to turn Ethereum into, or ETH, into more of a deflationary asset instead of a very inflationary asset where they're, I don't want to say there wasn't a cap, but there, for the most part, compared to Bitcoin, there wasn't really a cap on the number of Ethereum that were created. And there, there is a cap per year that could be created on Ethereum, um, and we don't need to go into that. But 
that that's kind of a, a big deal. The other thing that's about to happen too with this new E2 is that you're going to see sharding, right? And the the simple way to explain that everybody, because that is a super complicated concept, is that what they're going to do is they're going to create 64 um, different shards so that not everybody has to focus all on the same, the entire blockchain. So I'll just kind of divide up the, the computational power needed to work on everything and make things faster as well. So because of all that, what that does is probably um, decrease the selling pressure by about 90%. And why that's important is, and maybe you can talk about some of the, the Bitcoin happening, what that actually means, but um, Bitcoin happening is probably like a 30%-ish uh, cell pressure decrease, and this is a 3x that. And usually, after the Bitcoin happening, you see a huge jump in price within six to 18 months. So the the thought on Ethereum is, with all this happening in the next near term, um, ETH price could jump up quite a bit because of the the, the selling pressure being reduced so much. Yeah. So uh, that's an interesting piece. Okay. So. Um, in the previous several cycles, so Bitcoin started out with each block reward being worth 50 Bitcoin. Uh, roughly every four years, that gets cut in half. Uh, Bitcoin runs on number of blocks, not they don't run on like a clock. So uh, I don't remember how many hundreds of thousands of blocks, but it correlates with a, a 10 minute block cycle. It correlates to about every four years. So it went from 50 to 25 to 12 and a half to the current 6.25 and traditionally you have bitcoin miners buying electricity in order to uh effectively guess the the math problem that uh that it, once they get it right basically decrypting um uh a, a an encrypted string once, once they get it right, they're rewarded the Bitcoin. Well, in order to pay for the electricity they used and in order to pay for the equipment that they bought to, to have the, the miners mine, they traditionally sold the Bitcoin for cash and, and then paid, uh, paid off their bills with that Bitcoin. And so what you would see is every time the reward would get cut in half, um, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin price would kind of hit this parabolic curve and and shoot up. So there's a 2013 and a 2017 move that where that happened and everybody expected it to happen in this 2021 move, but it kind of ramped up and it looked like it was going to shoot. And then it just kind of had a rounded top and dipped back down. Right. And that occurred right when the Chinese miners came offline. Uh, and then it kind of had another second uh, increase that set another high at 69,000. Uh, and now we're currently in the forties. So we didn't get that pump after the halvening. Um, but it's interesting because the cell pressure has kind of changed, uh, miners because interest rates are crazy low. Miners are just getting loans in us dollars or, or whatever currency, uh, and paying for their operations with, with that. And they're hoarding the Bitcoin more so than they have previously because they expect the Bitcoin price to go up, especially against the one, 2% in, 
inflation or uh, interest that they're paying on the on the U.S. dollars. So the sell pressure has shifted from the miners, and now you've got these financial um, packages, ETF. Well, the futures ETFs, but you have ETFs in other countries uh, that are you know a half to one percent fees. They've got the GBTC Grayscale uh, Bitcoin Trust, where they're actually holding um, spot Bitcoin. And that is at a 2% fee. So in order for Grayscale to make money that matters to them, you know, they're selling, uh, they have sell pressure on the, onto the Bitcoin network, the ETF sell onto the Bitcoin network. So the more money that gets pumped into these vehicles, the more they're, that 1% to 2% is getting pushed out every month uh, in order to fund the fund and, and create profit for the financial investor. So the sell pressure is kind of shifting. So there's a belief that we're going to decouple from these happening events and we're going to go into more of a steady walking, you know, uh, kind of yo-yo up the stairs situation uh, for as the price continues to increase. Um, I don't know, like who knows, right? But, uh, but going to Ethereum, you mentioned burning, you know, there's going to be a burn and reduce the, the overall stock of Ethereum. So I was a holder of the Binance coin and they started to do their burns and the price shot up. Um, it, it was correlated to the timing of Bitcoin going up and everything else going up in late 2020 and early 2021. But, you know, I don't know, but it seemed like that was a big piece as to why the price was going up because essentially you're cutting the supply uh of something that people think is valuable. So people are willing to pay more. So that's, that's going to be interesting to watch on what, what that does for Ethereum's price. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not an Ethereum guy, but I'm curious to see what happens. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, I like the fact that Bitcoin miners are holding the Bitcoin because like gold miners sell all their gold. They don't, they don't mine for gold and sell just enough to break even and, and hoard the gold. They constantly pump, all the gold they make into the market. So um, that's always been kind of an interesting piece to me is like, man, you think gold is so valuable that you mine it. You never keep it. Like you just sell it in order to fund more mining and just run this, run this business. Uh, whereas Bitcoin miners hold the, hold the Bitcoin. Bitcoins, Bitcoin, people that, that use and like Bitcoin typically hold it, uh, which is good. And then Ethereum, I don't know as much about it, but I don't know how much, how many people hold Ethereum. Yeah, so if you look at what people are staking with Ethereum, I think there's only about 10% of Ethereum that's staked, right? So it's not a huge amount compared to a lot of other um, tokens out there. I think with the proof of stake, that should change, right? Just because people want to earn rewards. But then again, there's so much being done on top of Ethereum that it's hard to stake it when you're using it for a lot of other things. And I know we're talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum, but one of the things I did want to mention with the, the Binance coin we've, we've talk, kind of talked about this or mentioned it in the past. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just copies of something else, right? So like Dogecoin is a copy of Bitcoin, right? Binance coin is a copy of Ethereum. All they did was take Ethereum, they copied the code, and then they centralized it all onto like five servers. And the reason the reason for doing that is it was able to reduce the fees by a ton. So I think one of the reasons that Binance coin went up so high too during that time was Ethereum gas fees were insane, where you mentioned $180. It, it, it was higher than that at some point, right, for some transactions. So 
for finance coin, you could have penny transactions. And when you're doing a lot of the DeFi applications and and um, NFTs and things like that, where you don't want a ton of fees, everybody was building on top of Binance coin, which shot their value up a ton. So yeah, will, will all of this change for Ethereum and, and everybody else? Probably. Do we know exactly what's going to happen? No. <laughs> um, but it, it is exciting to see what's going on. I mean, the good news is with so, somebody like Ethereum and Bitcoin, they're decentralized. Binance is not. All right. So at any point, Binance can say, all right, we're shutting down um, and you can't do any more transactions for this. And that that is a problem for me long term. Right. So I, I love the decentralized concept. Yeah. So, well, I'm uh, speaking of big Binance being shut down. So back in the day, there wasn't a Binance US and a Binance uh, exchange. So I was doing things on Binance and like I had to move everything to Binance.us because they operate under some different regulations that allow them to operate in the United States. But some coins aren't available. A lot of the leverage pieces aren't available. Um, and if you didn't move your cryptocurrencies from Binance to Binance US, you're basically locked out until you travel internationally and you can, or, or you VPN and, and kind of work around it. But like, I think I've got some crypto that's just locked into a Binance account that I can't get into. Um, because yeah, I mean, if things are centralized, it just doesn't, it, it's not the same. Well, the crazy part too with Binance is one of the reasons that Binance grew so much is because they didn't really have any KYC, right? And now they've even changed that. So you can't even VPN into Binance anymore because they're still going to require KYC to get it out. <laughs> right. So, so those are tests. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the future, maybe it all changes and it's all one big happy family. It doesn't matter where you are, you can access it, but. I mean, we're, st we're still at the beginning of all this, right? We're still learning, or everybody's still learning, trying to understand how to do it, the best yeah. way to do it, kind of go from there. Yep. Uh, so we've talked kind of about how things started and kind of how things are going now. Um, the one thing that we haven't really talked about is where we kind of see things like very far into the future. Because... Um, I view this as like Bitcoin. I don't see somebody else coming out with another Bitcoin that where the founders don't have a pre-mine where it's, you know, it's just created and, and gifted to, uh, to the, to the world. Um, but it seems like there's a lot of Ethereum, like sim, like if you look at the 10,000 cryptocurrencies, some of them are junk, but a lot of them are like Ethereum, similar to Ethereum. Um, and it seems like the only ones that are similar to Bitcoin are forks from the original Bitcoin blockchain. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, Ethereum's got a huge network uh, advantage right now. Lots of people use Ethereum, even though like it's got its problems. If you look, you know, there are companies that are putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. There are investment groups that are creating uh, Bitcoin funds and, and ETFs and things like that. But there's also some that have Ethereum uh, that they're adding to it and uh, to balance sheets or Ethereum uh, investment vehicles. But you don't really see that when you go further down the line into the polka dots and, and Cardano's and things like that. And so like those those moves matter to me. Like I think that if you once you have institutional adoption on 
the, the top one or two coins. I think it helps cement their position. Um, but I'm, I, I think that Ethereum would have more competitors and the, a greater opportunity for a competitor to actually start to, to chew away at their market share as opposed to Bitcoin, which I, I don't see that happening as much. Like I don't see people trusting um, Cardano. I mean, like Bitcoin Cash, right? I mean, it it even had the name and the URL to, to back it up. And I mean, it all of the Bitcoin forks have kind of failed. Like in Doge, right? Like that one made a little surge there when Elon Musk was picking it up and running with it. But, you know, it, to really compete with Bitcoin, I, I don't see that. But then on Ethereum, I just don't I don't know enough about what Ethereum's trying to do. And it seems like the uh, the competitors can get better at Ethereum at individual components of it. Um, and even if it's on uh, if it's on top of the Ethereum blockchain, then the advantages go to Ethereum. But you don't have to be you don't have to do that. Like what Binance did. People didn't really, some of those people really didn't care whether it was centralized or decentralized. So I'm curious to see what matters and what doesn't matter. Yeah, so I think a lot of it's going to go going to go back to trust at the end of the day, right? And the positive to Ethereum right now is that they've been working since 2015, and for the most part, they're not really running into issues today, right? So their their system isn't really getting hacked or going down or anything like that. Um, the The biggest problem with Ethereum right now is the gas fees. The, the other big one that you hear a lot about right now, just because there's so many VCs that are investing in it, is Solana, right? which is an, another competitor. And they have like 50,000 transactions per second is what they're counting and what they can do today. They just don't seem to have a scalable solution in the future. So right now, they might look good. Uh, they've also had it, been hacked a couple of times and their um, servers have gone down, which have cost people a crap ton of money. Um, so. I see Ethereum in the future being able to bypass that. Right now, Solana probably looks better today. Uh, I mean, you, you got the guys like Cardano. They are looking at it from a much different perspective and kind of being more as an engineer, right? And and designing everything on the front end of what it should be like and not really focusing on the marketing side of things. Their focus seems to be mainly like Africa. So if they took over the Africa market, I think they could be extremely successful. Um, Polkadot, kind of kind of same vein type thing. They've done things a little bit different with their whole parachain concept. Um, time will tell if these take off or not, right? I, I don't know if one's going to be better than the other. I still think that there's so much opportunity in this space moving forward that it's not going to be a single chain doing all these smart contracts. It's going to have to be multiple chains. Uh, and, and if you look at Polkadot, most of that is there's there's 100 parachain uh, slot or parachain slots, and all those parachains are doing different things and just connecting back up through the polka dot infrastructure. So there, there's, if you just take everything out there and put it on a blockchain, it doesn't matter which blockchain it is. There's not a single one of them that's going to be able to handle all of it on its own. So the the interop between all of them is going to be the big deal, and making sure that those interops actually work. Because I think what it, wormhole or whatever the latest one is, it got hacked and lost quite a few Ethereum as well. So there, there's a lot of problems still, but hence it's still early, right? So there's there's a lot going on. It's exciting to see what Ethereum's doing. I mean, I think they burned over $3 billion of Ethereum tokens. 
or sorry, 3 billion Ethereum tokens already with this burn mechanism. Um, and it's only been going for a little while. So it'll it'll be intriguing to see what the future brings with that and, and what that does. But I think overall, it's exciting to be in the space right now. I mean, you and I got in what four years ago, and it's been a roller coaster ride. It will continue to be a roller coaster ride for the next ten or twenty years. Oh yeah, I think if you're curious about anything, there's a spot for you to be curious about on a blockchain network. I mean, I think everybody cares about money, and I think this inflation stuff that's going around, um, like people that are actual, like everybody's heard about inflation, man. I'm 40, so inflation's always been around, but it's like, you know, a couple percent here and there. Technology's kind of keeping prices down. Inflation's raising prices. So as far as like, you know, if I go to the grocery store and I can get uh, boneless, skinless chicken breast for $1.99 when I'm in college and they're uh, $2.29 a pound now, like, eh, I mean, you know, inflation, right? Like, okay, fine. Um, my TV's getting cheaper, uh, you know, Netflix is better than having to drive to Blockbuster and, and pay late fees. So to me, it's like you haven't really felt it. Well, right now, it, you feel it, man. If you go to the grocery store now or you look at you, if it's time for you to buy a car right now, you're feeling it. So I think that's going to drive a lot of people to get curious about money uh, and start to understand kind of what it means and, and how bad it stinks for you to work uh, eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week in order to earn money and then uh, whatever you're, whatever you can save after you pay taxes and bills and uh, have a little fun, whatever you've got left over uh, and you kind of pile it up. Well, people are going to very quickly start to realize like, Oh, I don't need, if I hold on to this as us dollars, I'm in trouble. This is going to, it's just going to buy me less and less stuff later. Uh, I need to find something else to put it in. So I think, to me, this inflation piece is going to get a lot of people curious about money. And I'm thinking that'll drive people to, it'll, I think it'll drive some people into understanding gold better. Uh, but I think a, a Bitcoin, despite it not having a marketing campaign, is doing a pretty good job of getting people curious about, okay, well, I, I don't want to hold these dollars and stocks are high, bonds are boring and, and risk adjusted, not that great. Um, you know, real estate, I, I have a house and I don't want to buy another house. So yeah, gold or Bitcoin and Bitcoin seems cool and super easy to buy. Um, and if they can get that far just because of the inflation piece, then once you get into Bitcoin, you start hearing about Ethereum. And if you're curious about it, it, it could jump off, uh, in, into people's brains pretty quick about, oh man, this is pretty, this is pretty neat stuff. Um, I may be, I may be giving people a lot of credit, you know, people are busy and they're, a lot of people are just trying to, to get by so that maybe they're not going to spend much time trying to figure this stuff out. But um, if they do, I think there's a lot of rewards, especially in the short term, because it's still super early um, as far as, you know, Bitcoin's under a trillion dollars market cap right now. I mean, that's, that's, you know, Apple's triple that. So let's uh, just to get some scale as far as how, how things are. Well, and not that I'm recommending this, but I mean, to that point, there's an easy way to kind of go look and research some stable coins and you can get 9% a year on your money holding it in a US dollar stable coin, right? I mean, you can lend it out and get probably 20% a year. And and for the most part, it is almost insured. Man, <laughs> I looked into that. this. <laughs> I looked into this the other day. I was, 
Uh, quick story, man. I'm talking to this guy. I've got some Bitcoin miners that aren't running. I need power. He bought a laundromat. He's got some excess power capacity. He's also got ventilation galore. And so I was talking to him about it. And he's staking stable coins or he he's earning like 18 through 18 and a half percent. And he's trying to explain it to me and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this, I don't know, man, this seems super sketchy. <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, that's a piece that I, I, I'm aware of. And I hear a lot. So because uh, the, the social media algorithm has me pegged for a Bitcoin guy, I get a lot of negative stuff about other cryptocurrencies. So I got to like, break the algorithm and try to figure out what the truth is about, you know, these other cryptocurrencies and, and stable coins and, you know, what's, what's real and what's, you know, what's, what's just Bitcoin or people trying to talk, talk down about other things. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, freaking 18%, if I get 18%, then why, why buy a rental house? Uh, cause you don't have to deal with a bunch of headaches if you can just hold money and it makes more money. But, uh, I don't know enough to recommend or, uh, none of this is financial advice, but, I, I like I have not made that move yet. Um, it, it's it's uh, I, I'm kind of nervous to to step into those waters because I don't know. Yeah, and neither have I. But it's one of those things that it get every once in a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's it's I hear about it a lot, and making returns is great. But man, I just there's got to be a catch, man. Eighteen percent. So that means somebody's paying twenty five percent on the other side. Uh, that's how long is that stable when you can just borrow dollars at two or three or four percent? Why, why would you borrow stable coins at 25 percent? And I don't know, I, I, I haven't figured out the economics behind yeah. that. So I, I think the big point is there's just so much opportunity, right? I mean, we, we spent four years in this and we still haven't really had a chance to touch that yet, um, just because there's so many other interesting things to pay attention to right now. So what I hope everybody takes away from this is yes, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're the two biggest ones. They're not really competitors. They are more in competition or more um, to help each other out, complement each other. So do your research, find out what's going on, just get started. All right. There's a long way for this to go. Yeah. And figure out what you're curious about and then just start, start reading about it. I mean, it's super weird that the best education you can get on this stuff is between Twitter and YouTube. Um, but because it's so rapidly evolving, uh, podcast, Twitter, YouTube are really the best ways to do it, even though it's kind of hard to figure out what's noise and what's signal, especially when you're first getting started. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's some good resources out there that, I mean, everybody drives and just listens to music. If you just switch from listening to music to listen to podcasts every every other time you drive, you get so far ahead of everybody else that's just listening to, you know, uh, 80s hair metal. Like, just listen to podcasts every once in a while instead. Yeah, it's like the equivalent of getting, getting your MBA in the car. So Yeah. And, and you're never going to keep up with all this stuff. There's just too much to keep up with. So find something that interests you and focus on that and see where you can go. I agree. Totally. Cool. Well, Hal, as always, it's great talking with you and uh, look forward to next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. See you. Bye. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group on Blocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. 
Hope you interact with you there.